Welcome to Real Estate Hackers, where you'll hear how real estate investors grew something from nothing. Property management is going to become more technical. Our entire business today is based off of a hack. What if you could put $1,000 into an apartment building project on your phone? With YouTube, with podcasts, you can catch up very quickly to a seasoned investor. Now here's your real estate hacker host, Chad Gallagher. Welcome to the Real Estate Hackers Show, where we talk to actual investors who use systems and tech to scale out their business and where they see this all going in the future. Before we get to this week's guest, a few words from our partners and friends of the show. This show is brought to you by Red Rabbit Insurance. As a real estate investor, I love working with companies and people who truly understand investing. If you're a real estate investor, I highly suggest talking to Ryan at Red Rabbit Insurance. Red Rabbit specializes in working with investors of all sizes, both for their personal residence, auto, and investment properties. Red Rabbit recently saved one of our investors $5,000 a year by switching to the exact same coverage. That's a down payment on a new rental. I personally saved 15% by switching to Red Rabbit, which is pretty significant. And Red Rabbit Insurance makes it super easy to get a quote. All you need is the address, your full name, and your date of birth. No annoying questionnaires to fill out, and Red Rabbit gets you a quote in less than a day. Email ryan at redrabbitinsurance.com or go to the website redrabbitinsurance.com or call 1-800-560-3015. That's redrabbitinsurance.com. Call today to save some money and get better insurance rates for your investments. All right, everybody. I am super pumped to have on this edition of the Real Estate Hackers podcast, Michael Manthe, a, uh, a good friend and a real estate investor out of Lancaster County uh, with a, just an amazing story. And I think you guys are all going to love. So, uh, Michael, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, man. All right. This is our first uh, podcast out of the, the Lancaster uh, room here. We're making some progress. What do you think? Hey, it looks good to me, man, for... Uh first few shows this is high tech all right well, i don't know if the high tech we're, we're making some progress we got some got some techie friends that are uh, really helping so cool well michael uh why don't you just start with uh maybe giving us a brief intro you know uh let's see you you own you own a bunch of units mostly multi-family mm -hmm. some single family homes Maybe just give us a quick, you know, kind of one, two minute recap of, of your kind of real estate investing uh, portfolio. Sure. Yeah. So today we manage. Um, so we have some things local here that we personally manage. I th I'd say we're in the 70s kind of uh, okay. unit count. And you both own and manage it. Right. Yeah, we don't do any third-party management. So we only manage for projects that we own. Yep. Um, so have a... A small handful of single-family houses, handful of commercial, and everything else is apartments. Have some buildings out of the area that some other people manage for us. Uh, mobile home park, um, more apartments, that kind of a thing. Okay. And still actively buying. Is yeah, very much so. It's a little bit of a tight market, but uh, that's right. where the relationships and reputation go a long way. Yeah. I just I just found out uh, two minutes ago that Friday we'll be talking about a potential deal together that I didn't even know we were... Uh... Or, or not on Friday, uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah so. that'll be a good one. Okay, uh, and so let's let's kind of go back to maybe your high school days, uh, kind of growing up. <laughs> was real estate always the plan? Uh, real estate wasn't even anywhere close to my radar. Um, <laughs> did not grow up aware of wealth creating strategies or even vehicles. Um, 
Boy, it was pretty young that I got mixed up in the wrong crowd. Actually, pretty much created the crowd, which was not uh, the proudest moment of the uh, of the experience. But yeah, so got mixed up in a lot of a lot of drug activity in high school. Actually, um, started my first business in high school, being an import export uh, for the <laughs> recreational and medicinal herbs as they're known today. Uh, but thankfully kind of had a really dramatic spiritual encounter when I was just turned 19 that boy just really awakened something in me that, that helped me start moving in a positive direction. So, so, so parents didn't come from real estate. You weren't brought up around anything around kind of this, uh, background. I, I meet myself either. My parents were school teachers, so they, they still don't understand what I do. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh pretty fair with uh, where my parents would be at awesome people um more intellectual and you know a lot of education um but the translation between education and kind of knowing what the right answer is in a certain context versus real world application of that knowledge and wisdom to really provide value to the world was not something that was a concept I grew up with. That's for sure. Wow. Okay. So, uh, you know, a bit of a interesting kind of high school years and probably not that dissimilar to other high schoolers, but, uh, to be honest, knowing you now, it's, it's almost hard to think of you in that background. So you then jump and spend the next, what, maybe five years in, in, uh, seminary. Is that? Yeah. Um, so the next few years, actually, I ended up starting a construction company Oh, okay. and had a construction company for a few years, but kind of every day I was, I'd had this experience with God and was so passionate to know him that to be a part of a business and making money actually felt wrong because I had some, some wrong concepts about money. So every day that I was in my business, I was waiting for the day that I could leave and do ministry. So finally, after a few years, I sold my business and went to a ministry school and then uh, got based out of Connecticut. And we traveled over the next five, six years to 20, over 20 countries, um, got to see some amazing things all over the world, a lot of humanitarian aid to a lot of places. Uh, it was an awesome, awesome uh, chunk of my life there. That's great. That's great. Uh, so then, all right, so you're in, you're, you're traveling the world, you're doing a bunch of ministry, awesome stuff. And then how do you get into real estate? What was the, what's the jump there? So rich dad, poor dad okay. um, was the pivotal moment for me. Uh, I read that book. I'm not even sure how I got my hands on it, but that book blew my mind. I had no idea that there was a way to think like that book talked about, it just completely shifted all my concepts about money, about, around wealth. And so while I was in ministry, you know, we're traveling all over, never had a, like a home base to get started with anything, never had any money in ministry. So just read a bunch of books, listened to a bunch of, a bunch of uh, audio programs and was kind of prepping myself on the inside for when when the opportunity would come. So that was um, a number of years there with the ministry, then got connected with my wife, moved to Lancaster, 
So for the first time, I was in a in a location, not moving all all around. Um, I started helping manage a local construction company similar to the one that I used to uh, own and manage. So I was making good money in a location. Some of my wife's family was into real estate. Went to breakfast with this guy, and I'm asking him questions, and he says, well, hey, I've got a foreclosure that I have under contract that the bank has been dragging their feet for nine months. They're finally ready to close on it, but I have two other flips I'm doing, and I don't want a third one. Why don't you buy this property? So I was like, oh, okay, sounds good to me. Uh, how much is it? He said, 25000 I'm thinking, okay. Um, go home, talk to my wife. So this is our very first deal that we're looking at. My wife had been working for her dad for 10 years, living at home, going without a lot, had saved, you guessed it, 25000 <laughs> So as I present this opportunity to her, she is, uh, she is less than enthusiastic, would be a nice way to put it. Um, I mean, let's just, so you are literally asking your wife to put up every dollar she saved for a real estate deal when... Frankly, you don't have any real estate experience. No real estate experience. She didn't know me, you know, even when I had the business, she didn't know me during those years. It was all ministry-based, all kind of, right. you know, uh, yeah, just ministry was her context for me. So that was, uh, that was not a very, uh, that was not a conversation that went the direction that I thought it might which I didn't blame her at all. I had kind of made up my mind before even getting married that I knew enough guys that made this comment that as they were talking to me as a young guy say, hey, if you can figure out earlier than I did that your wife's intuition can be a great value to your, uh, to your guys' life, uh, that'll save you so many heartaches. Whereas, you know, they would... This happened probably three or four times in different words, but the same message, value your wife's intuition. I didn't, and we went through some hard times because of that. So I'd already made up my mind, you know, my wife and I will stay in unity on, on this thing. So when she wasn't really a fan of it, I was like, hey, that's, that's okay, but let's just kind of talk through and, and figure out what we do want to do. Right. So we go over to her parents' house, and her parents have been very successful. In real estate. In real estate, yeah, yep, with money. And my wife's problem with what I was talking about was, here we are about to spend everything we have. We're still renting. We don't even have our own house. It's our first year of marriage. And the wisdom that her parents had always said was, don't spend all your money in one place, have a rainy day fund, you know, save it for your first house, all of these things. So we get there, and you know, like you alluded to before, I'm, I'm heading to her parents' house to talk to her mom and dad about using her life savings to buy something that I think is a good idea, but I have no money and no experience. So as I kind of reflect on this on the drive over, it hits me like, you better not open your mouth. Like I'm, I'm, I just, I'm not going to say anything. So I laid out the, the fine deep or the rough details of the deal. And then I just shut up. So she's kind of explaining her side and, and everything. And then when it's time for her parents to speak, her dad basically says, sweetheart, 
the only way to get ahead in this life is to take big risks. And this seems like a good opportunity. So it just kind of switched from there when she knew that this new kid that doesn't know anything, yeah, he's my husband, but the track record isn't there. Um, once she knew that her dad was supportive of the concept, then we were able to talk about it um, from a different perspective and we ended up doing it. Uh, that's been six years, coming up on six years since our first one. And been a great experience. We yeah put about $15,000 into that one. Did you, did you loan the extra money? Because you're putting every dollar into the actual... Yeah, so on a foreclosure, as you probably know, it doesn't. it's not always as smooth a closing as you know a cash deal. So it actually took about four more months before the bank was ready to do something. And by that time, we had saved another $15,000. We were each working good jobs, okay. um, living below our means. So we saved the renovation money and put that in. And we've had the same tenant in that property paying eight twenty five. dollars for the last six years on amazing. a $40,000 investment. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and, and did you refi the money out at some point? We actually have not refied that one. So we've done a lot of refis. That's kind of our, you know, it's nice to have at least one property where it's, so, where it's paid in cash, yeah. where you know you could go for cash if you needed it. We have used it as collateral for other um, hard money loans to get into properties. That's awesome. Um, so the, the, the podcast is called the real estate hackers. And one of the reasons we did that is we, we love when real estate investors think of different hacks to kind of, uh, just, you know, creative ways to get a deal done or structure something. Uh, do you have an example for the listeners of a, a hack that you've done, uh, to maybe find a deal or get a deal closed? Absolutely. Or... Yeah. Um, so we bought that first deal. We waited a whole nother year before we bought our second single family house. Then a couple months after that, we got the news my wife was pregnant. Um, so we got a property under contract that actually replaced her part-time income. It was a commercial property. Well, through some delays with the appraisal, that contract fell apart. And through that experience, we... We, uh, it, it was a heartbreaking thing because here I'm thinking, you know, my wife's income is going to be replaced um, with this big property. That falls apart. And we really just created this opportunity where we're, where we're like, God, you know, what's going to happen next? Next day we woke up and we just knew that God had something special for us. And I told my wife, hey, watch, this is going to work out to our advantage. I told our realtor that. And this was the biggest hack of our whole career so far. And it's just, it's paved the way for everything we're doing now. So we ended up through this finding a larger property. And because of the complexities of the appraisal, um, mortgage contingency dates, we said, hey, we're going to put a cash offer on this as a 10 unit building. So we get a hard money loan, uh, give the hard money lender a mortgage on the property we're purchasing and also our first one that we didn't have mortgaged. So we bought this property for 210,000. Uh, none of, right. yeah. yeah, none of our own money. We refinance with our bank. The bank gives us 225,000 back. So we pay off the hard money loan, put 10 grand in our pocket, a couple of grand in closing costs. And they also gave us, so 
the property appraised for 360 or something, like 150 more than we bought it for. And this is like right at closing, it's getting appraised for this much? It's not even like we it didn't even did, have to season it. Uh, we did not appraise it. No, because we bought it cash. So we didn't have an appraisal going into it. We, didn't we weren't sure what we were buying. We just knew this was a good opportunity. So, and at that time, our commercial lender didn't need any seasoning on the property. Right. So it didn't have to sit for six or 12 months. Um, so it was in the second month after we bought it. That you refied it out. That we cashed out. They also gave us a $75,000 line of credit. So the hack was, and I, I hear people call it Burr or BRR, or whatever. I'd, yeah, yeah, Burr uh, strategy. Yeah, so we kind of stumbled into that. And to us, you know, when we're talking to investors, everybody's concerned about what's your return on investment. A whole lot more important and a hack for real estate investors is not the return on investment, it's the return of your investment. And if you can use that same equity, that same capital to flip into deal after deal after deal, you buy some undervalued, add the value, refinance. So that $75,000 line of credit that we got from this, number one, that deal taught us that you don't have to use your own money to make money. You can own something with zero money into it. I mean, you'd already used all your wife's money the first time, so you didn't yeah, have that, any more anyway. <laughs> that well was tapped. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this infinite return concept. Yeah. And then when we got the line of credit, we just flipped that capital. And over the next two years, we bought 50 units. And we didn't have any big infusions of cash. It was just getting in the game, learning how to uh, buy under value, add the value, refinance, and then flip that capital again and again and again was massive for us. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. So you buy a 10 unit property for 210K, hard money loan. So no money down, a couple of months out, refi, pull your money out and now open up essentially a 70K line of credit that you use to go out and, and keep buying. Keep buying. Yep. And then uh, basically keep refining and kind of putting that money back into the line. Yeah. What a great, what a great example of a hack. Uh, that's awesome, man. Um, Okay, uh, the next thing I want to talk to you about is I've got to know you pretty well and kind of how you maintain a strong relationship with your tenants. Mm -hmm. And I think that is different than yep. a lot of philosophies. I mean, a lot of investors don't even want to know their tenants at all. Right. And I, look, I don't think there's a good or bad side to this, but just because it's a bit polarizing, I want to hear your stance on this sure, and why you think maintaining a relationship matters with your tenants. Yeah. So yeah, you read the books and basically they're going to tell you as soon as you buy your property, insulate yourself as much as possible from the tenant. You don't want to know them. You don't want to know their kids. You don't want to, you know, basically interface with that. Sometimes it's, it may not be said this way, but it's almost like that class of person mm -hmm. you kind of want to insulate yourself from. Uh, and we kind of take an opposite approach but it really comes down to personality. You know, <laughs> being in the property management business yourself, you know, property management is not for most people. Right. You know, it takes, it's a very rare personality. Right. It's worth calling out. You're not using a property manager. So you're, you are the property manager and the That's owner. That's right. And yeah. so you, you I started of... because I wanted to know the business. I wanted to do it for myself. And then I was like, maybe we'll hire somebody later. Um, but it ended up being, this actually, I mean, it's 
as much a part of our business model now as making money. So the impact that we're able to have in tenants' lives uh, is a really big deal to us. You know, we started in lower income areas and the tenant profile there, you know, is not real great. You know, typically people are in a low class neighborhood because they don't have, you know, great job skills. They don't have conflict resolution. They don't know how to communicate real well. You know, it's kind of a, a eat or be eaten uh, environment sometimes. Yep. So that can be a hard um, personality type to work well with. Um, I think because of my ministry background and just kind of some of how we view people, whether they're the president of a country, uh, whether they're a low, you know, D-class renter, uh, there's a certain level of respect and honor that we treat people with. And we started just doing that because that was who we were. I didn't realize the financial benefit that that would have. So, you know, you you look at metrics for lower class neighborhoods, you look at high vacancy, high turnover costs, um, high eviction. Uh, when you do evict somebody, they're going to trash your place on the way out. And, you know, I, I hope we'll always be able to say this, but, you know, 70 some units, you know, six years in, we still haven't ever had anybody trash a unit. You know, we've had to evict people, but the here's another hack if if you're the one managing your own property. I want to diffuse the combative nature between a, a landlord and a tenant. So it's so easy for a small piece of communication, maybe a, a text or a phone call or a, a late payment to kind of rile the emotions of the landlord who has a sharp comment for the tenant and then it just starts this downward spiral. So I'm looking to I'm looking to dissolve tension because my tension with the tenant isn't the real issue. The real issue is we need you to pay the rent or we need you to find somewhere else to live. Right. So I will always tell people what I'm able to do and what I'm not able to do. So I, one thing, I never make any threats to anybody. Um, but I do say, listen, we need to have a payment of approximately this amount by this date or you know, we need to file eviction. And I always say, I don't want to file eviction. I like you and your family. You know, you're good people. Um, if it's true, you know, if it's not, then I don't usually say that. <laughs> but, uh, but as soon as they think that you're about to file eviction, they assume that it's something personal. Yeah. If you let them know, and it's just as simple as, I like you and your family. I want you guys to be able to stay. Right. And we just need you to be able to pay by this date. Um, has really worked wonders. It's been yeah, awesome. That's awesome. Um, and and the one thing I I also like about what you said is you're not afraid to file an eviction. Not at all. Um, which I which it, it means you know that's kind of the other side of the coin. But I think that's important. I see sometimes landlords get in trouble where, um, especially someone like yourself who wants to have a relationship, and the landlord will come to us and someone will have not paid rent in three months. Right. And their response is, I wanted to have a relationship. I cared about this person. Yeah. I thought they'd pay and they just didn't. Um, so I think it's really hard to do what you're doing. And, and we, we frankly struggle with it too is as a prime management company, can you maintain that relationship, care about someone, but also if they don't pay, you have to file the eviction because if, if you don't, this, this just, will just keep going on. Yeah. 
Yeah, the business doesn't work. Right, and so you seem to be able to balance that. Yeah, it's usually, you know, the stereotypical landlord who's such a hard ass that he's a jerk, nobody likes him, but he stays in business because he requires what's written in the lease. Right. Or you get the person that's so soft and kind-hearted that they get taken advantage of until they either, you know, don't make any money or they go out of business. Right. So trying to find the the the, the path in the middle for me is you know, we have a lease written that I have responsibilities to maintain and they have responsibilities to maintain. So while I'm going to be respectful always and honoring of the people, whether honestly, whether they deserve it or not, I'll still be respectful. Um, I can have a soft exterior and interface point with the tenants while at the same time requiring them to fulfill the lease or no hard feelings, but you need to go live somewhere else. Yeah. And I mean, I've even told people, if you can't pay the rent, just move out and, you know, at least you recover um, possession of the property. Right. So, yeah, it is a hard balance. And um, that's why I say it's, you know, this business is not for most people because most people would not emotionally be able to be both loving and fair. Right. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Okay. One of the things I like to talk about this podcast is about scaling. Uh, I think that, you know, uh, we, we talked about kind of your early hacks and how you got going. I think that's hard for some people. And then there's this next step, which is how do you scale? Uh, I think, you know, to buy a single family property is one thing, but but to scale up to what you've done, and I know you have even bigger ambitions for the future. Talk to me through some of the, what you would call keys to success maybe, or how you've been able to scale beyond just that, you know, couple different properties. Yeah. Well, the big thing for me is going to be discovering what you feel like you're called to do. Honestly, um, we bought our first rental and we didn't know if we were going to like the business. Uh, we started with the one and the more we were in it, you know, we decided we'd really liked it, uh, loved what we were doing and just wanted to do a whole lot more of it. So, um, because our passion aligned also with what was profitable, you know, they talk about the Venn diagram of, you know, what are you good at? What can you make money at? And I forget what the other one is, but you know, there's, you look it up Venn diagram, there's, there's an intersection point where you're doing what you feel called yeah, I mean, to you do. Seem to, besides being good at real estate, you all seem to have some passion towards it. For sure. Right. And I and think, I think that's, that's a key to doing something big yeah i mean every time i see you, you have a smile on your face you seem pretty happy uh you know i can't imagine when you're going to talk to a tenant it, it probably doesn't feel like work right you probably like what you're doing no i mean and and you know the concept in rich dad poor dad of when your passive income exceeds your monthly expenses you can retire you know that was a big driver for us but once we hit that and we we hit it really quickly compared to what we thought. We were thinking 10 years. Um, it ended up just being a few. But we really reevaluated everything that we were doing. And we said, okay, we no longer have to work to survive. What do we want to do? And as much as I thought it was going to be kicking back and going to the beach and reading a book, I realized I actually completely love what I'm doing. Let's just do it with other people. So I think loving what you do and being in touch with who you've been created to be is probably the biggest hack 
evolve to be able to to scale. And scale isn't just what we all want to do for its own sake. Man, if you scale in something that you don't even want to be involved in, that's a nightmare. <laughs> so you want to you want to hone in a little bit on what you think you're called to do, yeah. and then mix that passion with what you're good at, and you you'll scale in something that adds life instead of you know takes it away. That's awesome, man. Um, talk to me about a moment when I mean, Laz has been very positive. You're so inspirational. Has there been a moment along the way where you're just thinking to yourself, I don't know if this is right, uh, or just a really a tough moment that maybe you had to go through, you really kind of push through something um, along the way, and uh, maybe you had some doubts, uh, you know, will a deal close or... Uh... Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, the, the biggest moments of, of doubt and hardship were honestly before getting into real estate at this point. Um, I feel like it was about a 10 year period that I felt so often, like I didn't know what I was doing, um, where things were going. It didn't feel like they were going anywhere. What I was aware of was I was going deeper inside myself. And I know that the emotional maturity developed during those times established the foundation to carry the weight of what we're doing now. So, you know, I mean, being a real estate investor on your own, you know, when I was working for somebody else um, and doing this on the side, you know, you at least have that paycheck. Um, but once you go out on your own, I mean, you know, you have to manage your psychology. I mean, I, <laughs> I could get myself depre depressed in about five minutes if I just, you know, filled my mind with all the things that could go wrong. Yeah. Um, but that's like completely disempowering. And number number two, it's not even true. Right. You know, so um, how you feed yourself during it is important. But there's there's mornings when I wake up and it's like, man, you know, it's just hard. You know, you, you have all kinds of doubt. You don't know if things are going to pan out. And that's just part of life. That's part of breaking into new territory. Um, so I don't ever look at that as... Uh, some people look at that as almost like, oh, I'm doing the wrong thing. Or anytime you encounter resistance, like, oh, you know, I'm on the wrong path. Resistance is going to come even more when you're on the right path. But you have to discern the difference between, you know, God speaking to you saying, hey, turn around, this is not good, versus, hey, you're doing well. It's almost like if your insides are good, you can feel all kinds of stuff blowing around you. You know, there can be a storm going on around you, but if your house is built well, you stay solid, even though you feel craziness around you. So that's pretty common, you know, to feel either a big deal is coming up or a public speaking event is coming up um, or some deadlines are coming up and to feel like, man, this whole thing could fall apart at any moment. But to realize, listen, this is just part of it. Keep your head moving forward. Awesome. And that's what awesome, it is. Man. Such great advice. I think uh, one thing that I really, people on this podcast have heard me tell us before is, uh, it bothers me how things like social media only kind of show the the, the beautiful moments, right. right? They don't show the moments like when you were in high school or when you were traveling the world in ministry, probably having some moments wondering, what the heck am I doing? Right. And and there, that was, those were actually probably transformational years for you. For sure. somewhat built some stability here. For uh, sure. 
and, and if, if you have to be going through some of those moments of, of doubts or can I be successful in real estate or I'm, I'm working through a, a tenant who won't pay rent, uh, I just think it's great to hear things like Michael where, uh, you know, everybody goes through that and that's part of the game. Those are actually super valuable. You know, we learn very little in the good times compared to the yeah. capacity we have for learning in the bad times. So harnessing those and growing on the inside is what's going to create a place for you on the outside. So don't try to skip through those too quickly. Get the lessons because that's what's going to prepare you for your future. That's awesome. Um, okay, I got uh, I got two more. So you talked some about your family uh, and, and your wife being a part of this. Obviously, mm -hmm. your your father in law, who we know is involved in real estate. We're going to have him on the podcast here awesome. soon. Uh, he's got an amazing story, he and sure I, does. I learn a lot from him every day. I still get nervous when I meet with him. <laughs> um, but I guess the question for, I have for you is. Um, you know, some people say, don't mix family and business. Hmm. Uh, you, we, we had another couple of folks on this podcast uh, who are brothers, who are business partners. Cool. Um, you, you know, you've got your wife involved. I know she's involved in the business. Your father-in-law, also uh, the rest of her family, your wife's family is involved in, in, in some way in, in your business. Yeah. Talk me through that. Why, you know, why you're okay mixing family and business and, and how that dynamic has really played out for you. Yeah. So I look at, at that as a similar question as to, you know, partnerships, you know, jumping into partnerships with people. Um, you know, one aspect of partnering with family is you know who it is and you should know whether you can trust them or not as best as you can. You'd at least know more than this, you know, stranger that you meet at a real estate club and say, Hey, let's do a deal together. Yeah. So who you partner with is a massive, massive deal. Um, we didn't do any partnerships until, well, until we had our kind of profound experience of, of financial freedom. And when we reevaluated life, we, me and my wife, we said, hey, instead of just buying all the deals ourselves, let's buy them in partnership with other people. Um, let's... Uh, yeah, let's just do this thing in a community instead of just on our own. So that kind of led us down the path of of uh, putting some larger deals together so that there's room at the table for more people. So that led to Jerry and I looking at deals together and now putting opportunities together with people. Um, and, you know, it's still something that I take very seriously because it's almost like a marriage. You know, once you are in partnership with somebody – to unwind, it's very easy to get into, very hard to get out of. Yeah, and you have to look at the cost versus the benefit. Um, Jerry and I were actually friends for five years before I married his daughter. So he is a minister, and we were friends through our ministry connection for five years. So we actually go back further than me and Your wife. my wife, yeah. which is amazing. Um, so I'm very comfortable with him. Um, yeah, I think it's great. I mean, especially well in any kind of business. I think having trust. I know uh, my business partner Nate. Uh, we we knew each other when we were six. Amazing. And, uh, you know, so you know the good, the bad. Yeah. Um, and, and most important is this just implicit trust you can have with someone, uh, which I couldn't imagine being in business with someone who you don't trust. Yeah. Um, even even clients. I start. I'm trying to get to the point now where I only want to work with clients I can trust. Um, awesome. Because it just seems like uh, makes life a lot easier. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the people you spend your time with, there's a big factor of quality of life. And if you can't trust the people you're around, that's not a fun life. No, that's great. I mean, it seems like it's working out well for you. You're working with your family. At least you, 
you have that level of trust that's so much greater. Yep. And that probably overshadows some uh, any potential negatives. Yeah. Yeah. No relationship or partnerships ever going to be perfect. So we just have to get it out of our head that we need to find that perfect person. Right. Um, and and move forward with what we have. The other thing is, take a look at people when they're going through hard times. That's a big indicator of what a partnership could look like. Because yeah. it's so easy to show up to a you know real estate investing club meeting and have a smile and talk about your latest deal. But what about three years down the road when things are not going well and you really get to see somebody's true colors? So I always like to, if I can, see that portion of somebody's life and how they walk through it before, you know, jumping into a partnership, awesome, which man. was awesome. able to in this case. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one more question for you. So I'm, you know, in the real estate hackers world, we're really into technology. Um, I, you know, I come to this kind of from a tech background and uh, we're always thinking, you know, what is that tech that's coming down the pipeline? And I love to ask this of people we interview here is, is, is there, a, is there a technology that you're excited about? in the real estate world or outside that maybe impacts real estate in some way that you see in the next two to five years uh, kind of impacting what you do? Yeah. So I'm not a, I'm not the huge tech guy. Uh, definitely not, not to your guys' level. You guys are absolutely incredible with what you've been able to accomplish and oh. put together. And I'm so impressed by it. I appreciate that. Um, Their days doesn't feel like uh, we have it all <laughs> together. So uh, at least we well, I, yeah, well, when you scale the way you guys have, um, I'm sure there's days like that, but man, it's just incredible what you guys have done. And it's such a rare ability to be able to scale um, and maintain the reputation that you guys have. Uh, awesome. So it's awesome. Um, the one piece that comes to mind is the automation potential of like, and I'm not even going to use the right words, but the different robots and things where you can uh, you can have these systems where somebody comes to your website, clicks on something, they get a text from your assistant who isn't even your assistant. Right. Um, then, you know, they put something on the on the calendar for you, send you the calendar invite. You can call them. You know, it's yeah. artificial intelligence would be probably the uh, <laughs> the, the tech lingo. I think that seems to be what you're, okay. you're heading towards. Uh, but but folks who can maybe uh, start to act like an assistant, um, but that's not actually an assistant, right? And and set up some basic things, uh, maybe even answer some basic questions from tenants, maybe even uh, try to collect rent for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I'm I'm thinking also on like the the money raising side of it, where okay. you have investors um, that right. Because we, we haven't talked about this too much, but besides just having a portfolio, you're now starting to do some real estate syndicating. Yeah, and that's going our... out and raising money. And, and uh, as your brand grows and the number of folks who want to, you know, place money in a safe investment grows, uh, you know, you'll be looking to work with folks and, you know, instead of having to just put their money in the, the stock market, they can put their money into real estate and you'll, you'll help them do that. Uh, and I, I guess as part of that, that's working with potentially a lot of people and maybe using some AI technology in the, in the future right. to make that a little bit easier. That's kind of the side that I'm seeing it with. Um, are you using any of that now, or are you just? I'm not. No, but I'm getting connected with some guys that set that up for people, okay. and one of them's becoming a friend. Okay. Uh, and to hear him talk about it is just unreal. Yeah. You know the kind of stuff that. That's awesome. That's 
possible. And I'm sure you guys are working with that stuff every day. Yeah, so we're, we're not using AI today, but I uh, we, we do a lot of tech to make it easier for tenants to book showings, for yeah. example, yeah. so they don't have to go through things. Um, we're trying to automate processes is a lot of what we spend time on. Yeah. We have not touched AI yet, uh, but, but I think it's a huge opportunity because a lot of what we do is answering the same questions over and over. Yeah. And so whenever you're doing that, AI can play a role. Um, but uh, man, I, I mean, just sitting here, I'm getting excited just to hear about this tech. And uh, you know, maybe once you roll this out, you'll have to come back on the podcast again and tell us about how you're using AI to go raise money in syndications. That would be cool. Yep, for sure. All right. Uh, well, man, Michael, awesome, awesome hearing your story. Uh, man, so motivating, so pumped to have you on here. Uh, how, I mean, you've got an awesome story. I know people are going to want to reach out to you. What's a good way for people to reach out to you? Yeah, probably the best way would be on Facebook. Okay. That's kind of easy for people. Okay. Um, my first name and last name, it's probably written somewhere where somebody clicked this interview. Yeah, Michael Manthe. We'll put in the show notes your Facebook link and uh, people can reach out to you there. I know uh, I definitely see you're very, uh, you're good at the social media all sorts of stuff that's motivating and exciting and uh, definitely always the smile on your face, uh, which is half the battle. So. That's right. I, I agree. So yeah, appreciate it, man. Um, awesome. And congratulations for you guys on all your success. You guys are just ripping it up and building an awesome, awesome company of companies. And uh, it's been a lot of fun to see your process and be yeah, friends along the way. Yeah, let's. Uh, we'll keep doing it. Thanks so much for joining us here, Michael, on the Real Estate Hackers podcast. And uh, yeah, look forward to future podcast with uh, Michael's father-in-law, Jerry. I That'll think, be good. Uh, we'll probably get him on here to hear his take of uh, hopefully he also enjoys working with family. Let's uh, hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so that's our episode of Real Estate Hackers. Thanks for joining us in your real estate investing journey. We come out with fresh new episodes weekly. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And if you would, let your fellow investors know about us. Also, if you've ever hacked or found a unique solution to an issue in the real estate space, hit me up. We may even share your real estate hack on a future episode. Check out our site at realestatehackers.com, on Instagram, at realestatehackers, or email me directly at chad at realestatehackers.com. Real Estate Hackers is an on-air brands production. Huge thanks and shout out to Eric and the team at On Air Brands. Be sure to check them out at onairbrands.com. This is Chad Gallagher, your host of Real Estate Hackers. Hope to see you at our next meetup or live event. And who knows, you may even be the next guest hacker on our show. See you soon.